teenager, one of the things I remember watching on television from time to time was really just filler kind of stuff, you know, like infomercials and that kind of thing. You know, when the, the network has nothing better to put on, there's no live event to broadcast. One of the things I remember watching on ESPN was the world's strongest man. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those things before. And they may still be on occasionally, but what they did was they lined up the biggest, strongest Europeans they could find. Americans couldn't cut it, apparently. They just all had European guys who didn't speak any words, they just grunted. That was the way that they did. And they, they would start the contest, and one guy would pick up this huge ball, and he would walk as far as he can with it, and then he'd grunt. And then... And then another guy would be kind of like, oh, yeah, well, that's great. He'd roll some tires around, these huge truck tires or whatever. And I'm thinking, I can do that. I mean, that's, you know, it probably doesn't weigh anything anyway. It's got air in it. The tire, it's really a bike tire. You know, it's not that big a deal. And I thought I could do it until the guy says, like, oh, yeah, well, watch me. And he hooks himself up to a rope and he pulls a fire truck, you know, like 300 yards or something. And another guy says, well, watch this. And he straps himself to a 747 and he pulls it down the runway. Another guy says, oh, yeah, watch it. He picks up the fire truck and the 747. <laughs> and he walks in, you know. That stuff was always so impressive to me. And, and you know, you, you want to you kind of be like those guys. When you're a kid, you think, I'll be that strong one day. And, of course, I stopped growing when I was 14. And that was, that was it. I wasn't European, and I don't grunt really well. So I, I guess my career as a strong man was over before it began. But... But I remember watching that and, and, and thinking how physically strong those guys are. So impressive. Now, none of us here, at least as far as I can tell, have what it takes to win a strongman competition. No offense. But none of us here have that kind of physical strength. But we all are strong enough for at least one thing in our lives. You and I, each of us, you are strong enough. You have the strength to destroy yourself. You have the strength to absolutely ruin your life. It doesn't take physical strength to do that. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. We'll see this morning the story of who probably historically, at least in his legend, was maybe the world's strongest man ever. And yet we'll see how he ultimately used his strength, more likely his weakness, to destroy himself. We're in a new series continuing this morning called Character Assassination. And we'll see a guy this morning who, like many in our world, and unfortunately many who sit in church each week, used what was such to his advantage that he could have done anything in the world, he used it to destroy himself. His character was assassinated by his own doing. And that's the premise behind this series, looking at different Bible characters and what they did to hurt themselves and how we relate to that, how we're similar, and what we can learn from them moving forward to avoid those things. A great way to assassinate your character is, is to focus on what you do and just ignore who you are. And that's the way we've been looking at this series. And we'll see that again today in Judges chapter 16. The Old Testament, turn there with me. Old Testament, there goes Joshua, Judges, and then the small book of Ruth. So you're toward the first third there of the Old Testament. A book called Judges, and I want you to be in chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. Now, on the back of your bulletin, you can follow along if you'd like. Again, unfortunately, the words won't be on the screen, uh, but I try to make it very simple. There are only four this week, and so if you'll listen closely for those, you'll be able, for those who are OCD, to make sure you get all the links. And those who are OCD, if you miss one, just ask me on the way out, and I'll be happy to tell you what it was. No problem. 
But you do see the sermon code there if you've got a phone or a tablet and want to scan that in. All the notes are there on there as well as scripture references and all of that. So if you brought a Bible, I want you to be in Judges chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible, scan the code if you've got that and you can follow along with us. Let me give you a little bit of history real quick. We're talking about a guy named Samson this morning. When I mentioned world's strongest man kind of guy, if you don't know anything about the Bible at all, you probably have heard the story of a guy named Samson. A guy who was the last of the major judges over Israel before they enter a kingdom period. He had fought against the Philistines, Israel's archenemy, for several years. And even before his conception, before he was even born, his parents had dedicated him to the Lord and said he will be what's known as a Nazarite. Now this was a special setting apart for God's use. This was somebody who was really above and beyond even the leaders of Israel. This was somebody who had to take on some very special things. He wasn't allowed to cut his hair. And so you know the story of Samson. His hair goes long, and that's a symbol of the God's anointing in his life. He wasn't allowed to drink any alcohol. He wasn't allowed to touch dead animals or dead bodies in any way that, that would de- kind of degrade him and so on. He was to take a step up from everybody else. This vow was to be that. And he grew up to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for great physical strength. That's how he became known. But he winds up, if you know the end of the story, <laughs> Maybe Samson uh, doesn't like discussing his story this morning. We're good, I think. We're back. All right. But we'll see this morning. It's the end of the story. You got scared. It scared me, too. We may experience that again, and I'll just tell you this. If we do, uh, then, then I'll keep going, and, uh, and we'll, we should be okay. I think we've got enough outside light that we'll, we'll get through. All right? I'll just talk a little louder then. So, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. We're going to see his story end today in very tragic form. This guy who was at the pinnacle becomes a tragic character because he, he destroyed himself by not completely surrendering to the Lord. So, here's the lesson from Samson this morning. Before you get to the scripture, let me summarize it and give you the main point. Here's Samson's character assassination. A principle for him that he shows us that we have got to learn. Here it is. The most certain way to ruin your life is to make it all about Pretty simple, you probably guessed that. The most certain way, maybe not the quickest, maybe maybe not the one that, that you know is happening, but the most certain way to ruin your life is to make it all about you. Now let's look at how Samson did that. Look at verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute and went to bed with her. Now the first part of this verse is, is really what sets the whole rest of it. Samson went to Gaza, the southernmost city in Philistia, 45 miles from his home. He has no business going there. It's among God's enemies. He's an Israelite. He's to be helping God's people, leading them. And yet here he goes off somewhere else. Samson is just doing what he wants to do, going where he wants to go. Now you probably know lots of people like that. They just do what they want to do. They go where they want to go. They don't worry about anybody else. And interestingly enough, this was an off-limits place for him, which we know made it that much more intriguing. Here he is, young, strong, independent. And he goes to a place where God has said, you don't have any business being there. It's not good for you. It's not going to help you. He's not going there to, to reach people for God. He's not a missionary. He's going there because he wants to satisfy his appetites, and that's the place where he <coughs> Maybe you've been there. Maybe you know people like that. And they go off away from what God has told them to do because I can't, I can't get what I want, it seems, from God. So I'm going to go and get what I want somewhere else. 
And in the Philistine land, they have what he wants. He says he saw a prostitute and he went to bed with her. I wonder was he looking for one when he walks up on Gaza? Is he looking for this kind of woman? Or does he just not realize what it's going to cost him? You know, Proverbs chapters 5 through 7 caution us against this kind of thing. It says that, that there's a man on the streets and he's naive and he doesn't understand what's going on and he sees something attractive. He sees this woman in Proverbs chapter 5 through 7. And she seems so attractive and he goes to her and it says... It's, so, it's such a great commentary on it. He says, but he doesn't know what it costs. In the sin like that. But it looks so great. And it's so appealing. And then on the other side of it, you say, I, I didn't know it was going to do that. I didn't realize it would cost me so much. If I had known now, if I had known then what I know now, I would have never, would have never even gone there. And here's Samson going to Gaza. James chapter 1 tells us that temptation is like that. It's a slippery slope. It starts when our evil desires meet an opportunity and quickly devolves. James says, becomes death and destruction for us. Samson going to Gaza represents just his lack of regard for God's laws. He doesn't care what God has to say. And unfortunately, you know people like that. I'm sure there are folks who are sitting here this morning who would never want to admit it to the church. But you say, no, I'm like that. I come to church only to kind of feel better or to make it look like I'm doing all right. But you know, in all honesty, I just don't care that much about what God has to say. Or at least that's how I live my life. And Samson here is this kind of guy. Gaza required that he traveled the length of the country. This is no slip-up. He didn't just wind up in the wrong place at the wrong time. He intends to go there and to indulge himself. It was deliberate rebellion. Maybe he assumed that he had the right, because he's young and strong and independent, to enjoy all that life has to offer. Here's a guy who's gifted, who's probably very good looking, who's strong, who has great ability, and yet he figures all those things that are good in his life are just simply meant to make him happy. God must want me to be happy. He's given me all these great things. Isn't that God's goal for me is just to be happy? It seems as if Samson is not that much different than many people in our world. We're all guilty of pursuing the wrong things in Samson here, just like us, is convinced that it won't really matter. He's playing with fire, and like many of us have done, he's expecting not to get burned. Verse 2. When the Gazites heard that Samson was there, they surrounded the place and waited in ambush for him all that night at the city gate. While they were waiting quietly, they said, Let us wait until dawn, and then we will kill him. They heard he was there. He's their arch enemy. He'd been wreaking havoc on their people for 20 years. And now they're looking for him. And arrogantly, look at what Samson does. He's got to know they're going to be out to get him. And what does he do? He walks right to them. Thought he was invincible. He's young, strong, undefeated. Thought he was in control. You've been there? Some have said, you know, I used to be there until I grew up and realized that's not true. Until I got a little bit older and realized I couldn't do the things that I used to be able to do. But some are living there right now. And it's not an age thing. It's a heart thing. Samson believed that nothing could go wrong in his life, that he was invincible, that no one could take him down. They surround him, they wait for him, their plan is to kill him at dawn. His disregard for God had gotten him to a point of extreme danger. Let me tell you this, especially for young people. Your disregard for God's word, if you don't care what God has to say, if you don't live your life according to what God has told you to do, you're going to put yourself in situations that are extremely dangerous, whether it's physically or spiritually or both. And in many cases, you won't even know you're doing it. Samson is just like this. Verse 3. 
But Samson stayed in bed until midnight when he got up, took hold, this is this, took hold of the doors. Here's the strong man competition. See Magnus for Magnuson do this. Remember, that's a Swedish guy. Took hold of the doors of the city gate along with the two gateposts and pulled them out, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and took them to the top of the mountain overlooking people. He gets up at midnight, realizes what's going on, or somebody had told him or he figured it out. They're going to try to kill me. So what does he do? He walks right past them, rips out the gates of the city, carries them 40 miles uphill. Now, I know some of you walk to school both ways uphill with no <laughs> shoes on in the snow every day, including the summer when you were a kid. But this is pretty impressive. Uphill 40 miles with city gates on his back, and he plants them right there. You can almost imagine after he carries the 747 in the fire truck, he plants them and he grunts <coughs> like a good European strong <coughs> to do. They thought they had him. But his plan, their plan was no match for him. He's smarter, he's stronger, he escapes. And this only serves really to build his legend and his ego. You can see the momentum gaining for him. He does something really impressive here, but really, it's only for He's not concerned about the threat that the Philistines make continually against the Israelites. He's just showing off to gain his own reputation. He's not trying to save any other Israelite. He's not using the gifts God has given him to serve God's people in his kingdom. Well, let me encourage you with something real quick. Or maybe challenge you. Or a little pastoral. Some are sitting here this morning who have been gifted in tremendous ways, both by the Holy Spirit, a spiritual gift, and then just in talents and what you can do. Let me encourage you that there is no better way to invest and leverage those gifts, those abilities, those talents, than toward what God is doing. Now, I'm not saying just in the church. So what can I do at church? I'm not sure. Come and talk to me. We'll figure it out. But I'm talking that you consider that what you're good at, how God has gifted you, may be used in some spectacular way by no fault of your own to see God's kingdom advance. God can use those things. Here's Samson who thinks that all he's been given is just for him to enjoy just for his own benefit. If you're using your gifts, your abilities, your talent, your money, your time only for you, you are missing out on something spectacular God can do for you. And let me tell you, there is nothing more satisfying than seeing those things leveraged for God instead of yourself, because if you leverage them only on yourself, at some point that runs out of steam. God can take it and multiply it, and it's understanding. Verse 4, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named you can see the scene. Here it comes. It's written, Enter Delilah. There's cupids flying around. Maybe some romantic style music. The candles are lit and the chocolate is laid out. Enter Delilah. She lived in the Sorek Valley. Sometime later, it's, I wonder how long. Apparently he had spent some time there after he rips up the gates. He's living among these godless people. And so far there have been no consequences whatsoever. You know somebody like that. Just out doing what they want to do, and so far they haven't paid for it. He's just enjoying life, doing what he wants. Everything's going great for him. He's got the life that he wanted. He's independent. He's famous, infamous in some cases. He's popular and he's feared. He's very aggressive. No one can do anything about him. He's, he's as they say, ten feet tall and bold. Nobody can touch him. And he falls in love with a woman named Delilah. Now, we're not sure of her nationality. But it's almost certain she's not an Israelite. He never went for the kind of woman that God wanted him to go for. Now, if you're a young person and you're an unmarried person in this room, let me tell you this. God has specific instructions for the type of person that you are to be pursuing or allowing to pursue you if you're an unmarried person. 
And throughout Scripture, I'll just say it this way and we'll move on. Throughout Scripture, it's always been keep it in the family. Now, I'm not talking about your own blood family. I'm talking about the family of God. Israelites were to marry Israelites. Christians are to be with and to pursue and to marry those who are also believers. If you're an unmarried person in this room, then hear me, please. You can ruin your life very quickly by the type of person you choose to pursue or to allow to pursue you. Samson goes after a woman that was not the kind of woman that God wanted him to go for. Eventually, why don't we fall in love with this forbidden woman? His standards have been lowered over time. His emotions get involved. Let me tell you, people, once your heart gets involved, you're done. You are done. Some can say, amen, I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. You are done. If you allow your heart to go to someone else, you are done. He's driven by his impulses, but this didn't happen overnight for him. He didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I, I think I'm going to go a different direction. He slowly let himself slip. No regard for God's word or potential consequences. And his lust for this woman was just a symptom of his overall selfish life. Time will show, so ironically, that he can uproot the city gates and carry them 40 miles uphill, but he can't resist a woman. And fellas, be very aware that things have not changed. They have not changed. Guys, we still battle the same stuff. I don't care if you're married or unmarried. Fellas, the battle still rages. You can do all kinds of great things and impress so many people and yet fall prey to the wiles of a woman. Isn't it true the power that a woman has over a man? You realize that goes back to the Garden of Eden and the original sin? That there would be this battle, this power struggle? God hints toward that. Fellas, you've got to be very careful of that. Now, let me speak to the ladies real quick. Ladies, you've got to be very aware of that. You have, you can take this however you want, you have power over men. The men in your life, the men you see randomly, you've got power over them. And I believe, and I'm not saying anything legalistic when I tell you, but I believe it's scriptural, that you've got to be as a woman very, very, very careful how you handle. I'm not saying that it's your fault when a man lusts. I'm not saying it's your fault when a man gets involved in anything illicit or whatever. But what I'm saying is that there is a partnership to be had between brothers and sisters in Christ. We lead one another toward purity. So, guys, beware. Ladies, beware of that. You see that in this story. Samson will provide the, own, the opportunity for his own destruction by his own weakness, which turns out to be women. Verse 5, the Philistines here have a new plan with they come to her, Delilah, and they say, persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless. Each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Here's the deal, Delilah. We realize Samson's got something going on behind the scenes that we don't quite understand. You realize Samson probably was not this huge, hulking Magnus for Magnuson, strong European grunting, carrying a 747 and, and fire truck. He probably, I like to think Samson kind of <laughs> Not really impressive. That's the way I like to think of Samson. Probably. It's got to be the hair. <laughs> so, fellas, hey, see, I like that. That's but I like to think that Samson just looked kind of normal. Why? Because if he if he looked really strong, what would they say? Well, it's obvious where his strength comes from. Look at his biceps. But they don't. They say, Delilah, we need to know what's going on here because it doesn't appear that he's getting his strength from some natural source. There's something else happening. We need your help to find out. 
And we know that his strength came through God, from his Nazarite vow, his setting apart to God. And it's interesting here that Samson, who's not in this verse, really, doesn't know that the person he's given his heart to will eventually be used to destroy him. He trusts her. He loves her. He tries to make her happy. When Delilah agrees to betray him, so she, she obviously doesn't love him. She doesn't care about him. She cares only about herself. And Samson, who cares only about himself, has what? Met his match in someone who cares about herself only. You know, when you're about yourself, you're going to find that that's who you're around, other people who are just like you, about themselves only. And he will be taken down by a person who is as selfish, if not more selfish, than he is. Verse 6 begins Delilah's attempts. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me, where does your great strength come from? How could someone tie you up and make you helpless? Now, it's an odd question. Very direct. Samson, uh, we'd like to kill you. And so if you could tell me how we could do that, I would appreciate it. I'm getting paid. That, and so I don't miss out on a pretty good payday here if you don't tell me. It's just an odd question, isn't it? Tell me, please, how we can tie you up and destroy you. I wonder what her tone was like. Was she kind of flirtatious? Was she kidding around with him? Were, were they kind of playing around? And she says, hey, tell me, how are, you, how are you so strong? You're so impressive. You're so incredible. You are the man of my dreams. Just tell me, how did you get there? It seems kind of odd that she was just asking directly. I wonder where she softened him up. His first response, get this, verse 7. If they tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become weak and like any other man. I wonder what he suspects at this point. Does he know what she's trying to do? He's playing along here, but he's not telling her the truth. So either he's flirting back or he doesn't trust her. I'm not sure. He considers himself, though, completely invulnerable, and he's going to prove it a few times here. Look at verse 8. The Philistine leaders brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up. While the men were in ambush, waiting in her room, she called out to them, Samson, the Philistines are here. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of yarn snaps when it touches fire. And the secret of his strength remained unknown. His legend grows. He still feels like he's in control. And he's just kind of playing with him. Then verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, here's her second attempt. You have mocked me and told me lies. She's working him. Won't you please tell me how you can be tied up? He told her, if they tie me up with new ropes that have never been used, I will become weak and like any other man. New ropes, he says, that, that'll do it. It's his game, really, if you see this. He's in control. He, he's the one pulling all the strings. Verse 12. Delilah took new ropes, tied him up with him, and shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. But while the men in ambush were waiting in her room, he snapped the ropes off his arms. No match for him whatsoever. He believes he's in total control. He he unfortunately, though, doesn't know the end of the story, does he? He's right in the middle of it, doing what he wants to do, feeling invincible. Nobody can touch me. He's confident and he's strong, and that makes him blind to what's coming next. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've mocked me all along. You've told me lies. Tell me. You can be tied up. He tells her, if you weave the seven braids on my head with the web of the loom, essentially, you do that. So that's what she does. He hints here for the first time toward the truth, by the way. You can see how she's working on him. He hints finally about something with his hair. So she ties him up, verse 14, fastens the braids with a pen and called him, Samson, the Philistines are here. He awoke from his sleep, pulled out the pen with the loom and the web. He just rips it all off the ground. Still invincible, still in control, still in style. 
And then verse 15, which is really the, the hinge verse of the whole passage right here. How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? If you love me, you tell me what's going on. If you love me, you do this. If you love me, you, 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 would, you would not do this. The power that she has over him. How can you say, I love you, when your heart's not with me, when you don't trust me? This is the third time you've mocked me. You've not told me what makes your strength so great. The moment of truth here for Samson is to whom would he give his heart? The hinge verse, the whole passage here. Would he tell this forbidden woman, this woman God didn't want him to have anything to do with, the secret of his strength, and in so doing abandon God who was the source of his strength? And his words give to her. Why? Because he'd already given his heart. She nagged him, it says in verse 7, 16, day after day, and fled with him until she wore him out. Fellas, you been there? Let's say, man, you just kind of laugh on your breath, nag him day after day. That was supposed to be kind of funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get in trouble, I, you know, it's all right. He told her the whole truth, finally, because she nagged him and she wore him out. You know, I wonder, why didn't he tell her just to get lost? Get away from me. I've already seen what you're trying to do. You're the one who's letting these guys in the house, and you're the one who's tying me up and trying to destroy me. Get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. Why do he stick around? And what's so wonderful about Delilah that Samson wouldn't walk away? Well, you realize he had already given himself to Emotionally, sexually. He wanted to be loved. He didn't care, or maybe he didn't believe that there would be any consequences. It's important. And I say this again, especially to young people, because you've got so much of your life. It's important to be careful where you allow your heart to linger. It's important to be careful where you allow your heart to linger. Why? Because it gets attacked quickly and it can't think for itself. It always gets carried away, for good and for bad. And it must be guarded, the Bible says, because what goes in will determine what comes out when you allow it. And he tells her, giving her his heart, the whole truth. Here's what he says. My hair has never been cut, verse 17. Because I'm a Nazarite to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and like any other man. He says, I'm a Nazarite. I've been set apart so all along. He knows. <coughs> this wasn't a secret his parents had kept from him. This wasn't something that he was supposed to figure out on his own. They had told him. They had instructed him. They had tried to help him see it and understand it. And he knew exactly what he was doing all along. He had been set apart for something very special. God, and he either resented it and he completely discarded it. He says, if it's cut, I'll lose my strength. Maybe he assumes that, yeah, it's my hair. It's really me where my strength comes from. And he ignores the fact that it's his relationship with the Lord. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that gives him his great abilities. And so he bears his soul to this godless woman, one who's not even his wife. He's foolish. So enthralled, so absorbed, so infatuated with Delilah that he's willing to do anything to please her and to keep her, even to go against God's word. And by telling her the secret, he moves from ignoring God to abandoning God. Verse 18. When Delilah realized that he had told her the whole truth, she sent this message to the Philistine leaders. Come one more time, for he has told me the whole truth. The Philistine leaders came to her and brought the money with him. Then then she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids on his head. 
In this way, she rendered him helpless and his strength left. He told her the truth. His tone must have been different. She must have known, yeah, this is it. God. So she tells the Philistine leaders to come again. They bring the money, and he, he's lulled to sleep there on her lap. And he doesn't realize that his strength is gone because his hair has been shaved. Verse 20. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. And when he awoke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before. You see? And shake myself free. And then look at the commentary on his life right here. But he did not know that the wolf had left him. Isn't that sad? I mean, what, if you look at this guy, you think he has got everything. And he did not know that the Lord had left him. You know his strength was not about his hair. His hair was simply a symbol. So, fellas, those without it, it's okay. His hair was simply a symbol of God's anointing. A symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence in his life. And all of that, all of that he traded in order to give his heart to a woman that God said he was never supposed to have in the first place. To do something that God said, you don't need that anyway. Samson cared only for Samson, and he was destroyed because of it. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, was no longer in and his Nazarite status was finally severed. And then verse 21, here it goes. The Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he was forced to grind grain in the prison. They treat him just like a common slave. You see this man who was once so great and now he's so pitiful. It's kind of like maybe you've been to a reunion of sorts, a family reunion or a high school reunion, and you see somebody who... At the time when you're in high school, was voted Mr. or Miss Senior. Most athletic or most likely to succeed. That's Samson. And you look at him and you say, What happened? Life, it seems, has been so hard for them and they're just not the same person, even physically, that they once were. And that's Samson. He's just like a common slave, blinded, forced to grind grain. I wonder what's going through his mind. He's chosen Delilah over loyalty to the Lord. And then verse 22, and, and don't miss this part. We focus on Samson in this story, and we think, well, you know, he's ruined everything. Look what God has to say about it. But his hair began to grow back after he was being shaved. It's almost as if God is saying, you know what? Samson is a knucklehead, but guess who's really in charge? Guess who's got this? Even when somebody, God isn't done with him yet. Samson may have ruined things, it seems, but God has something in mind. Verse 23. Now the Philistine leaders gathered together, offered great sacrifice to their God Dagon. They rejoiced and said, Our God has handed over our enemy Samson to us. When the people saw him, they praised their God and said, Our God has handed over to us an enemy who destroyed our land and multiplied our dead. Verse 25. When they were drunk, they get rowdy here. They said, Bring Samson here to entertain us. Well, they brought Samson from prison and he entertained them. They had him stand between the pillars. They bring him in, entertain us, do a song or dance, whatever he does. And then verse 26, Samson said to the young man, who was leading him by the hand, lead me where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against it. The temple was full of men and women. All the Philistine leaders were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. So here's going to be his last stand. And I'll just warn you, if you haven't read the rest of the story, if you don't know this, it's going to be a mixed ending. You ever seen a movie that just leaves you scratching your head? You think, I'm not sure exactly how to feel about that whole story. That's the ending of Samson here. 
you, you see a little bit of redemption here, but not completely, but not total failure. And it's just a weird ending to the story. And here's what he does in verse 28. He prays to the Lord. He calls out. He says, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines from my two eyes. You know, he's torn all along. Routing the fence. He says, God, I need you to help me one last time. But what's his motive? It's not, God, I'm going to defend your name. God, these folks are worshiping a false God, saying he's the real God. Lord, these people are out to get your people. I'm going to do something on your behalf. What does he say? God, strengthen me one last time so that I can what? I can get revenge. See how he's torn? See how there's a little hint toward redemption there in the first part of that? A little hint that maybe he's truly turning to God in humility and faith. But we really see his motive in the second part. He's just putting his personal ambitions ahead of God's interests over and over. His prayer is dominated by I and me. No thought of this nation that he's supposed to be defending. No thought of God's reputation. Only his personal revenge on the Philistines. In verse 29, Samson took hold of two middle pillars, supported the temple, and leaned against them. One on his right hand, and the other on his left. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the leaders, and all the people and the dead he killed, listen to this, at his death, were more than those he had killed in his life. And that's the summary statement. Lots of potential. Lots of ability. Lots of dreams. Lots of opportunities. And most of it squandered. Essentially, he was more valuable in his death than he was in his life. He wasted his life. On himself. He's a tragic figure because he made his life only about him. He ignored God's will. He blazed his own trail. His funeral song would have been Sinatra's motto. That's his song. It's a tragedy because he accomplishes more for God dead than he did on But interestingly enough, as I said, the one who's really in control here isn't Samson. Because even in death, God was using Samson in spite of God used him to prove who the real God is. Let me tell you this. People will fail, and they always will. Don't put your hope in men. Put your hope in God. God never fails. When a person fails, God is unaffected. He is still true to his word. His will still goes forward, and he will still bring salvation to his people, even when the leaders in God's kingdom fall. Even when they fail, God is always faithful. Look at verse 31. Then his brothers and his father's family came down, carried him back, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtar, in the tomb of his father and mother. So he judged Israel for many years. I wonder when the family comes to visit. What are talking about? Travel 45 miles. They've heard where he is. What are they saying? You know, I, I tried to tell him. Tried to, Samson, I, I had a conversation with him two years ago, and we talked about this same thing. Why are you doing this? Why did he listen? You know, he could have been so much more than what he became. And what in the world is he doing in the land of the Philistines anyway? Imagine their conversations. Samson has proved that the most certain way to ruin your life is to make it all about you. And here's how it will ruin you, what you've been waiting for all along. It will ruin you because you never find Samson never did. He's, he's essentially like the old country song says, he's looking for love in all the wrong places. He's looking for what will fulfill him, what will make him, he thinks, happy. 
And he pursues it his own way, apart from God's will, apart from God's standard, apart from what God had told him. And he never finds what he's looking for. There are so many empty people in this world who are searching to be filled. And unfortunately, they're going away from what God has said. Here's what brings ultimate fulfillment, and that is an ongoing grace-based relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what fulfills you. And people chase everything else, and they wonder why lives, in their most honest moments, are so I wonder if funerals that I do, that you go to, visitations we have, and so on, I wonder about the person who's deceased, and I wonder... Because if they search for it apart from Jesus Christ, I guarantee you this, that maybe they thought they did in life, but they have not. You never find what you're looking for if you make your life about you. Not only that, but you never recognize your need for a Savior. You're going to continually feel 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Here's Samson can do anything and everything and doesn't see his need for God, even though he was raised in what we might call today a Christian home raised in the church and taught all the right things because he's so great, because of his abilities, because he never submitted himself to God, he doesn't see his need for God. And that's what destroys him. Not only that, but you never realize your potential. This will ruin your life because you never realize your potential if you make it all about you. Samson was the tragic figure who had so much potential. The five-star recruit who flames out who can't get the job done when it's really on the line, you never realize your potential. I wonder how many people here today would say to a person 20, 30, 40, 50 years younger than you, you do it God's way so you don't have the regrets that I have today. You do it the way that God has said to do it because if not, let me tell you, you're going to chase all these things for the next 30 years and it'll get you nowhere. You'll never be the person that you could be unless you do it God's way. Samson's story is, is one that's repeated in our world today constantly. And even among people who sit in the church pew week in and week out. The strong man of the story ultimately proves himself to be the weakest. I wonder how you and I are like Samson this morning. The people who first read this story were meant to see themselves in it, and I believe we are too. I wonder if you'd see the signs in your own life that you're driven by self-gratification. That your major concern is just for self-protection, for your image, for getting revenge, for proving who you are. Maybe you'd see a lack of concern for God, for his word, his will, his people, his kingdom. Maybe you say, I'm not worried about what my godly parents have told me. I'm not worried about the authorities in my life. I'm not worried about the godly influence. And I'm going to do things the way that I want to do them. Maybe you don't have any true love for the people that are around you. Maybe you're manipulating people and your circumstances only for your reputation, and your benefit. Maybe you're just spiritually apathetic and you just don't care. Yeah, I'll show up for church, but it doesn't matter to me. Maybe you had a calling on your life one, one time long ago and said, you know, I think God wants me to do this with my life, and you've abandoned it. Maybe self-interest is what guides your decisions, whatever's good for you. Maybe you're playing with your gifts and just using them for your own benefit instead of leveraging them for God's kingdom. Maybe you're indulging your sinful desires biggest sign that your attitude is just about yourself is that you don't reflect the attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians tells us that he emptied himself of all self-determination, all self-interest, all self-glorification, and he simply focused on doing the will of God, even when it cost him something. <coughs> Samson
Samson is concerned only for himself and destroy. You and I have the strength to destroy ourselves and to ruin our lives. Isn't that wonderful? You walk out of here today and you live your life your way, and eventually you'll ruin yourself. There is only one, let me tell you this, and he's not sitting in any of these pews and he's not standing in this form, but there is only one who can save you from your sin, and his name is Jesus Christ. The only one who has the strength to save you from certain ruin and certain destruction is Jesus Christ. There's only one who's lived a perfect life since we couldn't do that. There's only one who was a, a worthy sacrifice for our sins, a sinless, perfect sacrifice, an acceptable one to God since we couldn't be. And there's only one whom God raised from the dead to show us what will happen to all who believe in him. And he's not standing here looking at you. And he's not sitting there looking at me. His name is Jesus Christ. There is an opportunity for you to be rescued, for you to be taken out of what will be certain ruin for your life, and his name is Jesus. Here's what I want you to do this week. I'll read these verses in closing. You'll see them on your board. I want you to study, and I mean read and really try to understand, and to meditate on. I don't mean get in some pose and, and hum and all that stuff. I just mean let it be in your mind. Fill your mind with this. Meditate on these things and live out these scriptures. Listen to these. Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to them, If anyone wants to come to me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. And out of the Father and the Holy Angels. Ephesians chapter 5. Pay careful attention then to how you walk or how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, Paul says here, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our life. And then finally, Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Paul tells tells his readers this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself, he says, like you're getting on a suit, a change of clothes. Clothe yourself. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desire. I wonder, do you see yourself in the story of Samson? And, and if you do, even in just a little, would you take time this morning to study and to meditate on and to live out these scriptures? There is only one only one who has the power and the strength to save you from yourself, and he is the one. Each of us this morning needs to submit our lives to recognizing him as our only hope, our only Savior. His name is Jesus. Let's pray again. God, again, we're thankful to be here, and thankful for your word, and we're thankful that you don't hide the, the bad stories in the Bible. We're thankful, Lord, that you put on full display that you are the only hope that we have. Lord, even someone so great and strong as Samson, God, can't do anything for us. He couldn't do anything for himself. And so, God, this morning we turn to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and lived a perfect life, the one we couldn't live, and that you died an acceptable death, the one that we couldn't die. The penalty we could never pay for. We're thankful, Lord, that you were raised from the dead to show us the new life that is possible through our Lord Jesus. May we submit to you today, refusing any longer to make our lives about us, but to give our lives to you so that we can truly be who you created.